Hello there. I'm Sam Frankie Fox, host of the Night Shift podcast. This is a podcast designed for people, parents, carers, anyone awake at night, busy soothing little ones, wanting some company. So welcome to the second story episode, where I'll be reading the second part of The Following by writer Emily Ayres. Make sure you listen to part one before listening to this one. But if you're in the right place and ready, Night Soothers, then let's settle in and see what happens to Sarah, baby Anton, and her night visitor. Together, let's tune in with the rhythms of... The Night Shift The Following by Emily Ayres Episode 2 The health visitor is here. She is asking me about my bond with Anton, but all I can think about is the ragged-eared fox. Should I tell her? She might report me. That night in the hospital after he left, there was a thunderstorm. I lay wide awake watching through the window as lightning fizzed in the sky and rain heavy as metal whacked against the glass. My whole body ached. I felt as though I'd been hit by a bus. The morning after, we had to pick a course over islands of rubbish and rivers of sticks and stones, detritus strewn across the car park by the storm, the taste of iron in the air. I pinned Anton to me, and we got a cab. Him in his pristine white suit, and so tiny in his swivelly seat. Born in a thunderstorm. Sarah? Yes? I pull my attention back to her. She is smiling, but not as warmly as before. She is wearing grass-green socks and a flowery top, because it's warm. She looks like she's grown out of my living room floor. I try to recall her name. Is it Marie? Or did it start with a B? They should wear name badges. How are you feeling about being a mum? I'm startled. It feels too personal a question to be asked by a near stranger. I look sideways, as if help might be found there. But there is just the nappy bag sitting forlornly on a stool, spilling its contents onto the floor. I look at Anton, wiggling on the lounge floor, surrounded by various objects designed to stimulate him. He is ignoring them all and staring at a fly on the ceiling. Great! I feel really good about it, I say, nodding steadily, feeling like I've definitely failed some sort of test. She makes a note. I want her to leave, but she is slow about it. I think she is making mental notes of everything she sees in the house. All the piles of plastic baby kit and the crumbs, the sharp edges and the dust. 
I will hoover as soon as she's gone. As soon as my joints will allow it. It is the middle of the night and I am in the service station. One of those 24-hour places that smell of car air fresheners and Costa coffee. Anton is asleep in the car outside. The door's locked, the radio on. My arthritis has flared up so badly that I must have those painkillers from behind the counter now, right now. The man at the till scans the pills so methodically I think I might scream or slap him. I crane my neck to see Anton in the car, which hurts so much I wince out loud. The man eyes me suspiciously. Maybe he thinks I'm an addict in a withdrawal spiral. I feel as though I'm watching him through the tiniest slits of my eyes. I can barely open them with the pain. I take the tablets as soon as I'm back in the car, washing them down with a fruit shoot. The man's eyes still on me. Okay. Better soon. Okay. The radio voice is talking about climate catastrophe. Great. Not a crisis any longer. Now a catastrophe. I grip the wheel, turn us out of the forecourt, and driving home, it seems much darker. So dark everywhere. I wonder if there's been a power cut. The clouds must be blocking the moon gathered thickly together and grumbling, ex-miners in the pub. Or maybe it's my eyes, this headache, this throbbing. I'm so distracted by the roaring in my body that I fail to see the figure in the road until I'm right in front of them. I break hard, a blow to my already rattled skeleton. An ungodly screech comes from the front wheels and we lurch forwards in our seats. I'm scared to look up. Did I hit them? Anton yells, hurtled into wakefulness. I twist in my seat to comfort him, but I have to get out and see if I've done any damage to... No. There he is, standing still as an oak in the middle of the silent road. It's the fox. I turn the engine off and the lights drop. But the fox seems to emit his own light. He is glowing. Peering closer, I see his coat is studded with hundreds of tiny stars. They swirl and hide inside the fox's fur, gathering together and then dispersing before coming together again. He seems somehow larger than before, wilder, a tornado of stars. His snout twitches a little, as if he is smelling something delicious. Hello, Sarah, he says, like last time. Only this time he does not bow. I look around for another person, another human, to corroborate what I'm seeing. But the streets are quiet. Anton's wails are the only sound, making my brain clatter against the inside of my skull but I can also hear the car radio crackling. Didn't I turn the engine off? I go round to Anton in the car and try to calm him, but he won't be soothed. I don't want to take my eye off the fox, so I keep my body turned to him, sheltering behind the car door. 
Anton is beside himself, flinging his arms and legs in all directions as if he doesn't want them attached to him anymore. The movements are so fast that his body looks like a blur in the dark. I look back at the fox. He holds out his dark paws. A welcoming sort of a gesture. But it makes my skin prickle. I suddenly feel faint and nauseous, dropping my head and gripping the car door, my knuckles white and glowing. Why is this happening? A small word, help, drips from my mouth into the car. Come, the fox speaks, low and melodic. I raise my eyes to look at him, and now I notice that in his outstretched paws sit small-lit spheres, each spinning on a tiny axis. They're mesmerising, delicate, like glass. I wonder for a brief moment if I'm dying, and this is a moving towards the light moment. There is a strange relief in this idea which takes me by surprise and my muscles, taut with adrenaline, relax at the thought of an everlasting sleep. My reverie is broken by an ambulance siren in the distance. It's coming closer. The stars are exiting the fox's fur now, twirling around him in a cloud. The spheres join in the dance, leaving him free to lick his fur, illuminated by the swaying lights. I want to touch them, but I daren't go nearer or leave Anton, who is red and breathless with crying. I unclip his seatbelt and hold him to me, but he writhes so powerfully it's like holding a wild animal. Come, Sarah, the fox repeats. What do you want? Why are you here? I demand, my voice fluttery with rage. I'm here for you, he says. His eyes narrower than before. I hesitate, feeling as though my feet aren't quite touching the floor. I shake my head. I can't. Imagine. I have to take Anton home. I have to sleep and get help somehow. Move out of the way, is all I can say like a traffic conductor. I turn round, climb back into the car and put my foot down. Swerving around the fox, whose liquid eyes follow us thoughtfully, I watch in the rear-view mirror as he dissolves, shrunk back into the night like the petals of a flower, leaving a few stars glittering in his wake. I take Anton to visit Mum. We battle through the hallway into the living room and I stand, wedged into what we refer to as the brass section of the house. Anton fiddles with the keys of a trumpet while Mum clears the sofa of her latest collection, postcards of Norfolk mermaids, she informs me. I nod, managing a smile of encouragement. I feel wired, jittery, 
and I know Mum can tell. How are you, Mum? I ask, avoiding the what have you been up to question, which always initiates too long a response. Super, 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 she says. She turns to go to the kitchen and winces, a sharp intake of breath. Her eyes shut and her hands automatically go to her hip. Her arthritis is bad today. She does her arthritis dance, which is a wiggle to shrug off the evil spirits, and continues to the kitchen. She's halfway there when she freezes, whirls around and strides towards me, taking my face in her hands, searching my eyes. God, I hate it when she does this. She calls this communing, and I resent the fact that I can't hide from her. He's been, hasn't he? Your animal. What is he? Badger? A bolt of shock surges through me. What? How did you... I stammer, breaking free from her hands. Mine was a jay. Massive great thing, very noisy. But what feathers, that blue. She seems dazed for a moment, then continues back to the kitchen. I sit for a second, struck by a memory of a large electric blue and black feather that used to sit in a vase on Mum's dressing table when I was little, before the house got consumed so entirely. I wonder where it is now. Does she still have it? Mine's a fox, I say, rising to my feet, feeling like I'm suddenly 16 again and having a conversation about her knowing I'd had sex with Jason Blinkney before even I'd realised I'd done it. She absorbs this information, then nods. Makes sense, she says. Why? Why does it make sense? What... What did you do? How did you... I don't know what I'm asking exactly, but I follow her anyway leaving Anton to gum on one of the Norfolk mermaids. She stands in the kitchen, looking out of the part of the window that isn't blocked by Tupperware towers, and turns to offer me a rare, gentle smile. The kettle whistles, steam blasting into the air. You have to let it in. You have to follow. She pats me on the shoulder and pops some tea bags in the pot before going to rescue the mermaid. This time he is standing behind the second-hand armchair in Anton's room, like a gentleman visitor calling on his sweetheart. His fur is moving ever so slightly, as though there's a wind, but the window is closed. It is mid-July, warm and muggy, but the fox must keep his own weather because snowflakes fall all around him, drifting down onto Anton, who is restless in his sleep. There is a privateness to the room, as if I've entered a club I'm not a member of. I am embarrassed, and for some reason I reach up to see what my hair is doing. It is scrappy and dirty, tumbling all over the place. I wrap my dressing gown tightly around me and stand, uncertain, in the doorway, 
listening to Anton's piggy snuffles and awaiting some sort of instruction. The look on our visitor's face has an intensity, an aliveness that makes me uneasy. What does he want? What's his plan? I suddenly wonder how I know the fox is a he. I don't know how, I just do. I can feel it. He has a sense of focus, fixedness and a wiry intensity that could only be male. Anton has this same quality, though he is only months old. My dad didn't have it, though. He was romantic, drippy, indecisive. I feel a pang of sorrow that he is not here with me. He might know what the hell is going on, who the fox is and what he wants. The sound of bells begin to fill the air, gently chiming as if from a distant mountaintop. Anton whimpers in his sleep, and I move to the side of his cot. His forehead is clammy with sweat despite the snow, the sheets beneath his head wet with the night's efforts to sleep or to dream. I reach for him, and for a strange moment I feel as though my hands have reached right through him, and he is made of air or mist. But then I feel again, and he is solid, stubborn in his weightiness. I shake my head to dislodge the sensation. I touch Anton's forehead again. He is so hot. He feels as though he is on fire. I pick him up, wrapping him tightly in my arms. Are you ill, baby? Is he ill? I turn to ask the visitor, without thinking. The fox replies. His mouth moves at least, but the bells are louder now and I don't catch it. The snow is thickening, muffling all sound. I look down. It is inches deep, coming up to my shins. How has it got so deep? I can feel the panic rising through my body, but not the cold. What? What, what did you say? I raise my voice. The fox speaks again. But now the snow is whirling around us, and the bells are so loud they hurt my ears. As before, he holds out his hands. The spheres appear, this time whirling around at an astonishing speed, as though time is speeding up. I grip Anton. The fox's fur is moving wildly now, waves on a tumultuous ocean. The bells ring, out of sync with one another. Then Anton twists and reaches out to the fox, as if wanting to be held. I try to pull back, horrified, but I bump against the cot and we lurch forward at the same time that the fox steps towards us, and Anton's fingertips graze his fur. Anton's fine dark hair suddenly flashes as if replaced by flames before returning to its usual dark brown. I just have time to whisper as I fall unbalanced and Anton is caught by the fox's open paws and then the room dissolves in a blizzard of snow taking us all with it into the unknown. Thank you.
Where have they gone, eh? Well, you'll have to tune in to episode three to find out. Next time, the final episode of The Compelling, the following. Please like and subscribe to this podcast so that you're notified of all new episode releases. Now, if you're still awake, settling your little one, you can tune in to the other story episodes. But if you're now ready to snooze, please check out our sounds collection for music and natural sounds to doze to. You can find more info on the creative process and people behind this project by visiting the podcast page on our website www.babiesadventuresinmusic.com or follow us on Instagram by searching the.night.shift.podcast On our website, you'll also find details of our upcoming live shows and concerts. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do tell your family and friends about it. It honestly makes a big, big difference to the reach of this project if you can take a moment to like and subscribe. Go on, it'll take like 10 seconds. Help another night soother out there by recommending us to them. And if you really like what we do, then please consider supporting us directly by donating the price of a track download or even an album via the link in the description or help others find us by leaving a review. Support of any kind allows us to continue creating more of these beautiful stories and sounds together. The Night Shift is a baby's adventures in music podcast brought to you by Curiosity Productions. It is created by Fox and Rocha. That's myself, Sam Frankie Fox, and Ricardo Santos Rocha. I read the stories and we both make the music. Voice on stories recorded by James Cavell. Guest writers are Emily Ayres and Rochi Rampal. Our advisor on nature and nocturnal behaviour is Jane Grove. Podcast advisor is Holly Close. This podcast is made possible thanks to funding from Arts Council England, with additional support from Birmingham and Black Country Wildlife Trust and the Midlands Arts Centre. The Night Shift team would like to thank all of the families who helped us to develop this podcast through our focus groups. We're very grateful to them and the wider creative team for their advice, wisdom and generosity. Thanks so much for listening.